Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. We have such a delightful treat for you today. A seasonally appropriate treat because today is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And in honor of the season, we are doing My Bloody Valentine from 1981. I feel like this one's been on our list for a while. I think we're both happy that we got to cover it. I think so too. Well, I think we've kind of put it off because neither of us have seen it prior to this podcast. And we didn't know what a masterpiece it was. (laughs) Or else maybe we would have jumped on it sooner. I can't believe that this isn't like in the public conscious always. We had a lot of fun. It was so fun. We should have watched it together, but we didn't. But I think we had a ball apart. And now at least we get to talk about it together. Yeah. So tell us about our ladies. Okay. So we have a lot of ladies, which is nice. We have Lori Hollier. She plays main character Sarah Mercer. Lori is a Canadian film, stage, and television actress. And this film was her debut role. And I think she looked right at home on the screen. I thought she did a good job. Next, we have Cynthia Dale as Patty. Cynthia is a Canadian television actress and stage performer. She is best known for her role as lawyer Olivia Novak in the 1987-94 to and rebooted in 2019 television drama Street Legal. Next, we have Patricia Hamilton as Mabel Osborne. Mabel is amazing. We love Mabel. <laughs> we love Mabel. Patricia was a Canadian actress who had an active career on stage, television, and film from the 1960s through the 2010s, and she just passed away last April. I miss her already. Next, we have Helene Udi as Sylvia. Helene is a British-American actress with numerous TV, film, and theatrical roles. We have Gina Dick as Gretchen, again, a Canadian actress with numerous TV, film, and theatrical roles. And then Terry Waterland as Harriet. And this is the only film credit I could find for Miss Terry, but she is great nevertheless. She has a really cool kill. Spoiler alert. Well, come on. Probably. (laughs) Tis the season. Tis the season. Tis the genre. (laughs) Moving into some IMDb trivia. This film is directed by George Mahalka and written by Stephen A. Miller and John Beard. This was Mahalka's first big hit. This was a moment for him. And a hit it was. And a hit it was. And Miller and Beard also went on to write for the 2009 My Bloody Valentine 3D remake. 3D. I I couldn't believe my eyes. <laughs> Maybe we should do that soon. You know, that is something we've never done on this podcast is cover a 3D horror movie. Oh, maybe the time has come. Maybe we should do like 3D December. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a theme. You do know there's a Saw film that's 3D. I do. Which one is it? <laughs> Spiral? It's uh, Saw 7, but it's literally called Saw 3D. But it's the seventh in the franchise. If y'all know other 3D horror movie adaptations you would like to hear about, let us know. Because if there is a theme in the works, we want to make it work. We can, we love a theme. I don't know where we're going to get those 3D glasses. We'll find them. We'll find them. Remember when they went from those little cardboard shits to like actual sunglasses that they would hand out in the movie yes. theater? That was a big day. And those became the little pop-out lenses that all the Tumblr girls would use in all their photos, the fake glasses. I still wear fake glasses. It's a trend <laughs> I I will hold on to for the rest of my life. Well, at least until I need real glasses. Producers Andre Link and John Dunning said the film's origin came about when they sought to find a holiday which a slasher film had not been set during the slasher flick boom of the early 1980s. They settled on Valentine's Day, and to keep the idea from being copied, they made the film's working title The Secret, though they had the release title in mind the whole time. Portions of the film were shot in authentic mines in Nova Scotia, which were often as much as 900 feet underground. 
only certain lighting devices could be used in the mines because of the potential danger of methane explosions. Well, that's close to home with the plot. Yeah, that is correct. In an interview with TerraTrap.com, director George Mahalka said that the shooting location at Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia, was chosen because of its rustic atmospheric appearance. However, when the locals found out that the movie was to be shot there, they decided to spend $50,000 to have the mine painted and cleaned, which is, like, so nice. (laughs) This, of course, diminished the reason that the production wanted the location to begin with. Mahalka said that $75,000 of the film's budget was then used to return the mine to its original state for shooting. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I feel like a stereotype of Canadian folks is that they're so kind. And I just love that they were like, we must spend $50,000 to clean up this place for these people. I actually just saw something. I was watching the Kill Count for Saw X, and they used some abandoned glass factory for a lot of those scenes in Saw X. So a lot of that like external imagery like didn't even really have to be altered because it was just a building in Mexico that hadn't been seen in a while. So that set wasn't built. I love that. That's like a metaphor for like, you know what? You could just be a random building somewhere, but one day somebody's going to want to shoot their movie on your premises. You could be a broken ass (laughs) bathroom and you're going to become the most iconic bathroom in all of horror. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's right. That's right. That's the kind of shit that keeps me going. In the beginning of the film, there's a caption that states Thursday, February 12th, which indicates that the Valentine's Day dance we'll hear much about is happening on Saturday the 14th. That means that Friday the 13th falls in between the opening of the film and the dance night, which alludes to some similarities between Friday the 13th and this film. And Quentin Tarantino has named My Bloody Valentine as his all-time favorite slasher film. That sounds like something he would do. Yes. So he says it's criminally underrated on IMDb and also the source that I found later that I'll tell you about. So it seems like this is a little factoid that pops up pretty frequently. I hope it's true. I like to think that somebody holds this movie near and dear to their heart. Oh, yeah. Like us. (laughs) So let's get into it. All right. So we open with two headlamps walking through a mine as the opening credits roll. They are wearing gas masks or oxygen masks, but think about it like the scary ones with the hoses and carrying pickaxes. They make it further into the mine and one of them begins to disrobe. She's a very pretty lady in a white lacy bra and a heart tattoo on her heart. You know the Grinch who stole Christmas starring Jim Carrey? You know when he has the x-ray of his heart? That's what it looks like. That's literally what her heart tattoo looks like. And I honestly thought to myself, I should get that tattoo. Not because of this movie, maybe because of this movie, but also because of the Grinch who stole Christmas starring Jim Carrey. I think it's a meaning that would be so sacred to you and you alone (laughs) where like people would think like, oh, it's just a heart. But then you would know, no, it's actually a mixture of all of my favorite things in one. That would be so funny. Because no one would think like, oh, it's the tit tattoo from My Bloody Valentine, 1981. But I would know. And you would know. (laughs) (laughs) So the other miner slams his pickaxe into the wall and approaches her aroused. They're caressing each other. She tries to take his mask off, but very much like Judas' boyfriend in Halloween 2007, he wants to keep the mask on to get freaky. Yeah. There's a lot of hand play with the oxygen hose. Everything's a dick. Hand Let's job. Bring it back. Hand job of death. You've said it once. You can say it again. <laughs> hand job of death. <laughs> but then he pushes her back against the wall, impaling her from behind on the other end of the pickaxe that he had lodged into the wall. And her ridiculous scream takes us to the title card. What did you think about this opening? 
I wouldn't say it's a cold open. I'd say it's a hot open. That's, I think <laughs> that's the perfect way to describe it. I will say this is such an effective hook. Cut to more miners above ground. They get off of a long day's work. We can tell based on how covered in soot they are that they appear to be coal miners. They jump into the shower to shower off the workday. And this scene is wild. All of these men are naked, whipping each other with towels. And they're mad hype for the Valentine's Day dance that's coming up, talking about how they're going to get laid. So pumped about it. They can barely get all of their clothes on by the time they peel out of the parking lot on their way to go see their girlfriends who are setting up for the Valentine's Day dance in town. And I immediately was confused because I don't know how old these men are. (laughs) I thought they were grown-ass men because they're working in a coal mine, but then they're so hype about this dance, I was confused if they were like working part-time but still in high school. I don't know. But they meet their girlfriends who are decorating for the dance, except for one guy named TJ. And TJ, you can tell, is begrudgingly single. He's not a fan of working in the mine. He's not a fan of being at this dance hall watching all of his bros make out with their girlfriends. But there they are, nevertheless. He's especially sour toward this one couple, Axel and Sarah, because Sarah is his ex-girlfriend. And Axel is now dating her after we learn through some context between, you know, the guys talking about him that he had taken off to California to try to, like, do something else with his life, but then ended up back in his hometown. And ever since he disappeared, obviously, life moved on without him. So Sarah moved on to Axel. And you could tell that he feels very sourly about it. And this is where we meet Mabel, who seems to be running the Valentine's Day dance. She runs a laundromat in town. And then the mayor, who is soon revealed to be TJ's father. They enter the dance hall, check on the kids. There's some boo scares and pranks, whatever. Axel notes to the mayor that, well, TJ doesn't like being in the mine very much, but the mayor retorts, it's not my fault that he couldn't make it on his own. Any son of mine is working in the mine so long as he lives here. So, okay, we're getting the sense that there's some familial stuff going on. The mayor takes a lot of pride in the mine. It's just something that the men in this community do. And to Elise's point of how old are these guys? We were having a discussion before we recorded about how interesting it is that movies and film don't know how to age characters if they're not in school. So, like, usually we're used to seeing, like, teens, obviously, in a high school setting, but then anybody who is vaguely in their 20s are either coupled up toward 30 and, like, fiancés or they're college students. But these folks obviously are coming from like a small town working class background and we see them at bars a lot throughout the movie. So we can assume these folks are in their early to mid 20s. They are blue collar guys. They're people that grew up in this town, live in this town, which is the reality for a lot of the population within the United States, obviously. But I liked that this movie was not making it a thing that this was their lifestyle. If anything, TJ was the one who was the one who thought he was better than everyone and then left and came back. I also really like this scene because there's some really great dialogue, specifically with our like residential clown, Howard. And Howard is the one that Shay mentioned earlier, does some like gags where he pretends to be dead, of course, alluding to the deaths to come. But I love this scene between Howard and Gretchen when Howard says, Gretchen, I want you to be my date for the dance, okay? And she says, dry up, which is like, who says that? But yeah, (laughs) I love that. And eventually he says, Gretchen, you know what looked really good on you? Me. And she says, suck it in and zip it up, will ya? (laughs) We should all talk like this all the time. 
Suck it in and zip it up, will ya? But this is proof that there are no small roles, only small actors. And Gretchen shows the fuck up for this role. She has two lines. <laughs> that's, She's amazing. That's the thing. There are so many characters in this movie, and we don't get to know them until it's a little too late. But I will say all of them play their part. Meanwhile, we just saw a scene with the town mayor talking with Mabel And we cut to a different scene with the mayor, Mayor Hanager, talking to the town's police chief, Jake Newby. Jake has received an anonymous Valentine's Day box in a heart shape, which appears to be full of chocolates, pretty standard. As he is in the car driving with Mayor Hanager, he opens up the box to reveal a human heart. And of course, it's not a Valentine without a note. He opens the note that warns that murders will start happening again if the dance proceeds. From the heart comes a warning filled with bloody good cheer. Remember what happened as the 14th draws near. Um, what the fuck? He's immediately like, it can't be happening again in this melodramatic moment. We're back with the gang. They're all at a bar and we're getting introduced to the bartender who is very much Crazy Ralph from Friday the 13th. And I love the irony of his name being happy, and he's very miserable. (laughs) (laughs) He's going off about how this town is cursed, and they're like, okay, old man. But then he goes on an exposition dump where he tells the story of how 20 years ago, everyone was at the Valentine's Day dance, a tradition of over 100 years, except seven miners that were still working in the mine. The two at the top were supervisors and impatient to get to the dance, so they left the other five men underground without checking the levels of methane in the mine. There was an explosion, and the five men underground were buried alive. It took them six weeks to get to where the men were trapped, and by then, only one was left alive, Harry Warden, who stayed alive by cannibalizing the other men. He spent the next year in a mental hospital, but escaped the following Valentine's Day to kill the two supervisors that left them down there without checking for danger. He cut out their hearts and put them in heart-shaped candy boxes, and they were discovered at the next dance that night with a note from Harry warning them to never hold another dance ever again. And legend has it, he returns every 14th of February to hide in the mine in case they don't heed his warning. One thing about Harry Warden is he puts a lot of thought into his kills, putting the heart in a heart-shaped box, leaving a little note. Poetry. Poetry. This man goes above and beyond. I also loved this next part. So obviously the bartender is warning them to cancel the party, but the kids, I call them kids, but they're in their early 20s, laugh them off and call him a stupid old man and all this kind of stuff. And then... (laughs) I guess one of their friends, Harriet, is a waitress at this bar, and her boyfriend or the guy she's going with calls her, you gorgeous slab of female fleshness. Jeez. Okay. And then they all join in song, singing about Harriet. There once was a barmaid named Harriet who hadn't been robbed of her cherry yet, but try as she may, this girl can't get laid a valentine virgin named Harriet. And they're singing in unison. This has been practiced. This has been rehearsed. I have to say, I don't, I don't fully understand the culture of this town. <laughs> <laughs> but like the fact that this was just sang and rehearsed, I was like, wow, okay, interesting. I also love that everyone in this movie is hype about everything. Oh, yeah. Everything is an exciting day to be alive in this tiny town in Canada. And it's really a joy to watch. Meanwhile, Sarah, who is our final girl of sorts, gets up to use the jukebox, but she uses this as an opportunity to tell TJ, who is playing shuffleboard nearby, that he knows it was his fault, you know. 
He's like, I never said it wasn't. And she's like, well, now you just have to accept the way things are. And he's like, well, what if I don't want to? And storms off. So, okay, we're obviously seeing that there's tension here and that Sarah still might have some feelings for TJ, although she's with Axel. Meanwhile, Mayor Hanager and Police Chief Newby are looking into the human heart that appeared in a Valentine's Day box in Newby's lap. They have taken the box to a coroner who confirms that the heart is from a young woman about 30 years old. The three of them determine that Harry Warden must be back in town, and he is set to repeat the gruesome murders that he completed 20 years prior. But there's no trace of him. When they call the hospital where Harry was last staying, his records are lost. Apparently, he is not at that hospital. The hospital doesn't know where he had gone. So it seems like their hunt to find Harry or any sort of idea as to where he could be comes up empty. That evening, we cut to Mabel in her laundromat, and she did the most to make this laundromat into the most lovely Valentine's Day decorated spot in town. There's streamers everywhere, hearts taped on front of laundry machine doors, and she's having herself a ball the night before the dance. Or maybe not the night before the dance. This is probably the penultimate night before the dance. Yes, this is still Thursday, I think. She heads into the back to grab something, and we see the miner from the opening scene of the movie enter into the laundromat. He has a Valentine's Day box with him, and he sets it down on the table and exits from the room. When Mabel returns, she sees the box and giddily reads the card. Roses are red, violets are blue, one is dead, and so are you. A poet. A poet. But of course, her giddiness turns into fear. Just then, the lights in the laundromat go out, and the killer starts chasing Mabel around the laundromat. She tries to put up a fight, but the killer ends up cornering her, and he murders her with the pickaxe. The next thing we see are the guys being dudes cooking their food on their car engines. Literally, this junkyard scene, (laughs) these guys are literally, yes, cooking snacks on the engine of a car in a junkyard playing harmonicas not just playing battling (laughs) harmonicas you've heard of dueling pianos get ready for i can't think of an h right now but battling harmonicas these men are going to town on these little pocket whistles it's unlike anything i've ever seen it's so camp it is but axel and tj essentially have a dude fight about sarah more of them storm off and nothing is resolved but also, we get more time with the character Hollis. Oh, yes. Tell us about Hollis. He's he's very much like neutral middleman. We see Howard in the beginning of the film really classified as the sort of jester of the group. But I think he's annoying. And I think that Hollis is really where it's at. He's also Patty's boyfriend. And I think they're like my favorite couple. Oh, yeah. But also, I love when Axel skulks off after the confrontation with TJ. He literally like plays his harmonica. As he leaves? Yeah. he's he's like so tortured over it he like pleases harmonica sadly as he walks away the next morning sarah talks with her friend patty about the love triangle and i do love the juxtaposing scenes of like seeing the guys confronting this and then seeing sarah talking with her friend patty and sarah doesn't like the way that either one of the boys is acting which i also love she's very much like they're being ridiculous and patty says that she can just go to the dance with her and her boyfriend And she says, you should see my dress. Cut down to here, slid up to there. I may not get out alive. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that for Patty. But also, I think, again, knowing this is a slasher, we're getting some foreshadowing here with this dialogue. 
So the chief arrives at Mabel's to talk to her about the dance because he is in agreement with the mayor that they have to cancel the dance. He goes in, starts looking for her, and (laughs) he's pulling the decorations off the wall as if they're a scratch and sniff because you could tell he can smell something. Oh, but he also notices that some of the hearts are upside down now. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, I missed that completely. Mm -hmm. But he's taking off the decorations. He smells a smelly smell that is smelly and finds Mabel in a dryer. This was terrifying. It was. This was a jump scare. This was good. She pops out of the dryer and this makeup to show like the burns on her body. I was really surprised with how visceral this was. It was given, what are they selling from SpongeBob? Yes. So back in the mine, Axel and TJ argue some more. They tussle. They're broken. I'm tired of seeing these men fight. I don't care. Chief and the mayor, <laughs> I wrote, Chief and the mayor decide to pull a sleepaway camp and not tell anyone anything. They're like, <laughs> just pull the ambulance round back and tell everyone she had a heart attack. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? She was found in a dryer. Yeah, that's serious. But also, this is one instance where we see the police chief just put his hands on anything covered in blood without really thinking about it. Yeah, they find a Valentine in her chest cavity. Because her heart was cut out. Cute. And replaced with a paper Valentine. Yes. That reads... I think you should say this because, and you're all going to know why. I was freaking the fuck out. I laughed my ass off. This is when I was like, I wish Shay was sitting next to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dance or it'll happen thrice. (laughs) Again, this killer is doing the most. He knows his job and he's doing it. So the mayor tells the chief, tear down all the decorations, lock up the union hall, cancel the dance, and explains it away to the kids as it's a way to respect Mabel's death. There will be no parties. But of course, they don't listen for very long. However, romance is still alive despite the canceled dance because TJ picks up Sarah from work and basically forces her to go with him to this beach spot that apparently has some kind of special significance to their relationship. Where is it? On the beach? The Bluffs. Oh! (laughs) The Bluffs. And the Bluffs are very special to Shane and me because we thought they were so funny in our prom night episode. Yes. But we're back at the Bluffs. We're back at the Bluffs. This town is also called Valentine Bluffs. Bluffs. Yeah. We're doing donuts in the Bluffs. We're fucking in the Bluffs. (laughs) We're rekindling romance in the Bluffs. We're exercising in the Bluffs. Yeah. We are finding ourselves in the Bluffs. We are apologizing in the blood. <laughs> yes, because that is what TJ is doing. He apologizes to Sarah for leaving her without really saying anything about his trip and then never contacting her after he reached the West. Sarah asks TJ why he never reached out, and he says it's because he, quote, fell on his ass out there. So essentially, he felt ashamed that he made this big move somewhere new to start this life different from maybe what he was expected to live in his small community, but he failed. Whatever he went out there to do, he failed at doing, and he was embarrassed to contact Sarah because of that failure. He tells her that he loves her and says he's sorry. I did not know this movie was set in Canada, but I did know after this scene. I literally says he apologizes in Canadian. He literally- Sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Wait, I- It was really touching. And then they kiss. So again, that suspicion we had that Sarah might feel those feelings for TJ still is confirmed. They definitely have undeniable romantic chemistry still. 
So later at the bar, Axel's playing shuffleboard and sees TJ walk in, but Sarah's nowhere to be found. So he's like, you've seen Sarah and TJ scoff saying that it isn't his turn to watch her, which I'm like, okay. And apparently it's neither of your turn to watch her because elsewhere, Sarah is walking home alone. And I'm like, you have two men vying after you and not one of them is walking you home in the dark. What the? I will say, I I do think that that's interesting. Like, yes, even though TJ and Sarah have romantic chemistry and maybe you can even say the same thing about Axel and Sarah, the focus here isn't really Sarah. It's more so the feud between the boys. Yeah. So it feels kind of more like, I don't know, like a cock showdown as opposed to like Sarah being the real catalyst for this conflict. You know, that's the day after Valentine's Day is February 15th is cock showdown day. (laughs) That is very clear. They're preparing. (laughs) Or maybe it's the day before because it's Friday the 13th. Oh, true. Um, There's a jump scare by Chief. No one cares. Bartender (laughs) is going off about Mabel's death, how it wasn't a heart attack. He's very right, but no one's listening. The gang then discusses moving the Valentine's Day dance to the mine to avoid suspicion from the mayor. Bartender warns them against it. They don't care. I think it's so funny how excited everyone is about having a party at the mine. Oh, yes. Tell us more because you were... They love this mine. But I will say in their defense, there is like a pretty sick rec room there. It is actually the perfect spot to have a party. It is because I was so surprised. We're like, we're going to have a party in the mine. And then they show up with all these supplies in a rec room. And I'm like, this is not the mine. You've never showed us this room before. Yeah, it has it a kitchen. Like the break room. Yeah. But it, so it, is, it does actually slap. But Happy gets drunk after his shift and comes up with a plan. He decides he's going to go to the mines ahead of the kids and set up a minor dummy like that mimics the killer in a doorway. So when one of the kids will inevitably open the doorway to this break room area, there's a rope attached to the doorknob that when it opens, this minor dummy's arm will raise holding a pickaxe and scare the shit out of them. Very much Halloween attraction boo scare. Yes, but he can't stop... (laughs) Boo scaring. (laughs) Can't stop boo scaring himself. He's so pleased with himself. And I... I see a lot of myself in Happy in this movie. He's so stoked with his own genius. He literally goes back for the fourth time to open the door and get a kick out of this prank he's concocted. But the real miner shows up, stabs Happy up through the soft part of his jaw, and then through his eye, killing him. It is now Saturday, February 14th. And we see the gang arriving and bringing supplies into the mess hall of the mine. Meanwhile, at the police station, the chief receives another heart-shaped box. He's very scared, but there's actually chocolates in this one. And he reads the card, Be My Valentine, from Mabel! It's really sweet. Oh, my heart! What could have been? But back at the party, there's some booze and there's some smooching. There's a lot going on. Sarah arrives with Axel. TJ's not pleased. <laughs> a no name. I don't know what fuck this guy's name. Mike. I Dave. Don't care. His name is Dave. Dave. Whatever. Dave. This is so fucking funny. Tell us about it. They literally introduced this guy, Dave, just to kill him maybe 60 seconds later. So talk to me about Dave. I don't know. He's like talking with his bros about this girl or whatever. It doesn't matter. And then he's like, I'm hungry. So he goes into the kitchen. And pull some limp biscuit shit because there's some hot dog flavored water on this burner. 
they are doing the least to prepare this cured meat for this event. So he's like, I'm going to go for this hot dog in this boiling pot of water, but then instead gets dunked in the boiling pot of water by the miner in the kitchen. Did you know that there is a director's cut where they actually show his face burning in the water? I wish they did. There is a director's cut where they get so much more graphic with these kills. Yeah, because then we don't see him again until he's just like in a freezer. Also, who's like not coming into this kitchen while this miner is mid-surgery cutting this guy's heart out? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? All the beer's in there. All the food's in there. Definitely a plot hole, to say the least. Whatever. Meanwhile, there's another valentine. It's delivered to the chief. When he opens it up, he has a note that says, you didn't stop the party. And cue our I-know-what-you-did-last-summer moment when he yells into the night, what party? (laughs) (laughs) What are you waiting for? (laughs) But he also finds a bloody, what does he find in there? It's not a heart, is it? I thought it was. Oh, so maybe he finds a bloody heart and then the note on it is bloodied. So, but again, cue another moment where the chief does not hesitate to touch like bloody things with his bare hands. Well, yeah, because I guess the chocolate one was a decoy, but this one was like sitting outside on the porch with a bunch of dogs. So back at the party, things finally come to a blow between Axel and TJ over Sarah. There are some punches exchanged. And fucking Hollis puts them both in a headlock. (laughs) He's huge. He's a huge guy. And he's like, knock it off. (laughs) So Axel storms out. TJ apologizes to Sarah, but she's like, don't touch me. And like runs away too. So like nobody's happy in this love triangle. Meanwhile, we're introduced to John and Sylvia, which it's bad news when you're introduced very suddenly because it means you might be cannon fodder for the sake of this movie. And you will. And you will. They're making out in the shower area of the mine facility. John leaves to go get some beer. And I love this because Sylvia's like, you know what I want? Some beer. Go get it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> well, it's because it's like, you know what I want? And he pulls out a condom and she's like, no, some beer. <laughs> and again, this is Halloween. Yes. Go get me some beer. Respect. She wants it. Well, John is going to go get it for her. As she's waiting in this shower area, she's kind of laying on a bench waiting for him to come back, and she starts hearing noises. Meanwhile, we get a troubling shot of people have now repopulated the kitchen, and somebody finds Dave's boiled heart with the other hot dogs in the water. It really doesn't look like a heart. I mean, it's completely cooked. Meanwhile, when John is grabbing the beer, we see that Dave's body is in the freezer, but nobody notices it because they're talking to each other, not even Dave, who is like reaching in blindly with his head turned to grab the beer. So again, rising tension. I love it. So we get a scene where you could tell Sylvia is being pursued somewhere in the shower area. So in this room, it's like a shower area, but all of the uniforms of the miners, I guess, are washed and then chained up to a ceiling to air dry. But then one by one, all of these uniforms start dropping from the ceiling, making it look like people are jump scaring her out of nowhere. Guess what? What? In the director's cut, Happy's body is something that falls from the ceiling. I was wondering where Happy's body went. I was waiting for it. That's where it was supposed to be. Oh, wait. Actually, I think they do see. I th- I thought I saw Happy's body. Oh, I didn't. But or maybe I, I watched the director's away. cut. I okay. don't know. Sometimes I tend to look away. Maybe. I really do. I think Happy's body is the last thing she sees before the miner shows up, at least in in the version I saw. But she's screaming. She's running around. And finally, she is lifted up by the miner. And that's the last thing that we see. But then boyfriend comes back around with the beer, sees that all the showers are on. And he's like, oh, yeah, and gets excited, (laughs) starts undressing. Like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And crashes (laughs) through a wall, too. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Now he doesn't. But he looks around for her and sees that her body 
has been put on the shower head with the water pouring out of her mouth, which is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, that I believe is on purpose. But it's cool because we don't see a frontal shot of it. We only see a profile side of it. And it's just enough to it's me. It's so effective. It's effective. And I love it. Fun fact, in the director's cut, they actually show the minor putting her on the shower head. Amazing. I'm not sad I missed it. Well, because I originally thought that when she got lifted up, that's what he was doing, was putting her on a hook and then was going to put her in the ceiling again. But no, this was a lot better. Meanwhile, Hollis is being persuaded by a squall of drunk girls to take them down into the mine. And I was like, why? Why would you want to do that? But then I astutely (laughs) observed that there is a ride involved. And it is 1981. There's like a mine train that they can like hop in and descend into the depths of the earth. And yeah, it is. It's very much giving carnival ride. But as he's heading down with Patty, Sarah, Howard, and another couple, Michael and Harriet, TJ sees them right away and says, you can't do that. This was my favorite part of the movie. Let me tell you why. He's immediately like, you can't do that. Me thinking he's going to be like, you have to check the methane levels. You need to be wearing hard hats. This is after hours. He literally says, no women allowed in the mine. (laughs) I was like, is that, is that what you're worried about? No estrogen in the mine. No estrogen in the mine. But of course they go down anyway. Hollis is persuaded and he wants to show off his workplace. He wants to show off what he knows. And the girls are ooing and eyeing at fucking coal covered walls. They reach the bottom and ask for a tour of the abandoned section of the mine. Look, I could see the mine ride. Mm -hmm. I can't see the appeal of the abandoned part of it. This is a very dangerous, dangerous place to be drunk and fiddling around in. So Hollis takes Patty and Sarah to do that. Meanwhile, Mike and Harriet, who are a couple, go sneak off into some office to go do some canoodling. As this group of 20-somethings is in the mine, we get back to the party and we see all hell breaking loose because Sylvia's boyfriend has entered back into the mess hall and delivers the news of Sylvia's death while Dave's body is simultaneously found in the fridge freezer. So now all hell breaks loose, the party breaks up, and TJ and Axel realize, of course, their friends are down in the mine and they decide to go into the mine specifically to rescue Sarah. Before they descend into the mine, they try to call out to the police to alert them of the situation, but the phone lines are cut, so they realize they're kind of in this themselves. And slightly before this, Chief had gotten a call back from, I guess, that call center or the hospital that he had called earlier saying, I have a call for you. It's about Harry and it's urgent. But we didn't hear the results of that call. So we're like, okay, obviously that's planting some seeds that are going to pay off very soon. We're back to Michael and Harriet. They are in the engine room of the mine. They're making out. And the rest of the group realizes they've been gone a while. They wonder why they haven't come back yet. I think they originally said like 10 minutes, but it's been over 10 minutes. But then suddenly they hear the sound of shattered glass down one of the tunnels. We can see it's the killer shattering light bulbs like one by one, which again, I think is kind of an effective, scary thing. But they decide they're going to grab Mike and Harriet and get the F out of there. Just then, Axel and TJ have reached the mine floor. They find Hollis, Howard, Sarah, and Patty and deliver the news that the killer is here in the mines and they need to get the F out. But I think it's only TJ because I think Axel and TJ got off on different floors and they're separated at this point. It's only TJ that has found the foursome because Axel's nowhere to be found right now, which anyway. (laughs) So Chief sees people rushing back from the party and they fill him in on the happenings that there are people dead, there are people dying, something's happening in the mine. So he races off toward the mine and calls in for backup. 
Meanwhile, TJ and Hollis split up to find Mike and Harriet, leaving Howard with the girls. Hollis ends up finding Mike and Harriet, who are bound together through, it's almost like a, um, like a drill. It's a big drill bit. It's like, what are the, what's the thing that uses A jackhammer. A jackhammer, yes. That's used to, like, break concrete. It's huge. That it's looks like, like an, a pogo stick. Yeah, it does look like that. But, like, whatever that big drill bit is at the bottom is bounding those two together. Which is so inventive. And romantic. It is. like, And then the idea that it's a drill bit, like a screw. Mm-hmm. Everything and is a... And they were banging. It's a dick. Uh-huh. Again, I like to picture the writer's room. You guys, let's impale them with a screw. A big screw. <laughs> and here comes some more tiny dicks because what happens to Hollis? Just then the miner shows up and shoots him with a nail gun. Not once, but twice. Not thrice. Not thrice, unfortunately, because if it was, I know you would be there to say it. I would. (laughs) So Hollis ends up stumbling back and dies right in front of Patty, who is inconsolable. I can't believe this. This is such a big upset. It is an upset, and she is obviously upset. However, the miner is very quickly approaching, very much in the line of sight of Patty, Sarah, and Howard. Howard very smartly is like, I'm getting the fuck out of here and goes to run away. But Sarah is obviously staying behind and trying to slap physically some sense into Patty being like, we need to go. Let's go. Yeah, we get a great slap here. Yeah, it's a good slap. They lose sight of the miner, but Axel then jump scares them and takes them to go find TJ. He ends up greeting TJ with a big shot to the gut with a log because he thinks he's the miner. But all four of them decide, okay, we need to get to the lift. So like the elevator that they took down in place of the cart to get at least Sarah and Patty out of the mine. But once they get to the lift, they see that the control panel has been totally smashed. So they're like, okay, we're going to have to climb up the service ladder. They're all climbing up the service ladder, which I'm sure is absolutely terrifying because how many feet are they in the earth and they have to climb up a ladder out of it? 100 yards. 100 yards. Honestly, (laughs) I think it might be. Wow. Okay. And of course, Patty is, she can barely handle it. She needs to get her shit together. She's just screaming, crying, throwing up. She won't do it. (laughs) But she's so believable. Yeah. I saw so much about this movie saying how the acting sucked, but like, I don't know. I thought it was great. I was with them. Just when it seems like they might be nearing close to the top, Howard's body is thrown down the ladder shaft with his neck attached to a rope. The force of his body tugging on the rope once it reaches the end of the rope is enough to decapitate him and send his body down, smashing to the floor and leaving his head caught up in the rope, spraying everybody with blood. So they are thinking, okay, the killer is above us. They quickly descend back down into the mine. Then Axel is like, I know a shortcut. So they go around this corner with, again, TJ, Sarah, Patty, and Axel. But as the three of them get ahead of Axel, they hear him scream, come back and see the light of his helmet descending into like a pit of water. Yeah, I'm like, what is this moat? I'm confused what this body of water is. I mean, I guess like they're underground. Like maybe there are certain areas that have like more moisture than others. Maybe it's like, I don't know, a well. But anyway, we see his light descend into the water and TJ's like, he's gone. Let's go. So they press on. There's some sort of cave collapse that traps TJ momentarily. Patty ends up getting got by the miner and TJ and Sarah reunite as backup arrives above. So the miner approaches TJ and Sarah just as TJ is able to get the little car train working again. And all three of them jump on it as it rides up the mine and they're jumping cars and trying to move forward as the miner chases them. They all end up off the side of the cart as TJ and the miner tussle some more. 
They end up in this cavern where there's some structural damage done to the mine, and the killer is unmasked and revealed to be Axel. I did not see this coming. This was a complete surprise to me. Well, I'm also confused, too, because I'm like, did he rig up Howard's body to fall like that? And when did he do that? Because think about this logistically, right? The miner's coming down the shaft as a threat to them, and then Howard runs away. And then very quickly after Howard runs away and Sarah is slapping some sense into Patty, Axel jump scares them is like, let's go find TJ. Mm -hmm. So sometime in that 30 second place, he is able to kill Howard and we see Howard get killed. But in what time is he able to string Howard up into the ceiling? Because literally 30 seconds later, he's with Sarah and Patty and leading them to TJ. So like, what happened? When he looks like he's approaching the three of them and then turns down the corner, he gets Howard, strings him up to the elevator, sends the elevator up, breaks the control panel, and then as they're climbing the ladder next to the elevator, he falls down. That's a good one. But that's still a lot to do in a short amount of time. I will say it is. I'm willing to suspend myself in disbelief here for this movie because I, I love it so much. But it's revealed that Axel's father was one of the supervisors that trapped Harry and his other minor friends. Axel witnessed his father being murdered, which fucked him up, obviously. So part of the mine ends up collapsing, trapping Axel. So Sarah and TJ are able to escape as backup arrives at the bottom of the mine to arrest him. I noted that here is a nice payoff with the phone call earlier because the urgent call was actually telling Chief that Harry Warden died five years ago and it explains his lack of urgency getting to the mine before the others arrived because we see him being like, I'm going to go check out the mine. I don't have a good feeling about it. And then he just like sits in his car for 20 minutes. Yeah. And we're like, where were you? Like, Mm -hmm. why weren't you at the mine? It's because he got a call saying Harry Warden is dead. So like you actually have nothing to worry about. Let the kids be kids. But then it wasn't until, obviously, the other young adults came rushing up and was like, hi, there's something happening in the mine. Can you go address that, please? That he actually thought that there was something serious happening. So I liked that. At first, I was like, plot hole. I'm like, oh, no, actually, that's very smartly done. So TJ and Sarah exit the mine as the group of men try to dig Axel out, and they call out that he's alive. So Sarah hears this news and goes racing back, being like, I have to see him. I have to see him. We see through a little like window in the rock that Axel is standing on the other side of the rubble, having hacked his arm off because his arm got trapped under a large piece of rock. And he goes off about how this whole fucking town is going to die. Harry and him are coming back. Wait for me, Harry. I'm going to join you soon. And then asks Sarah to be his bloody Valentine as he wanders off further into the mine and laughs maniacally. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So believe it or not, I really couldn't find much about this film as far as like post-plot goes. Most of what I found kind of dragged the film, but I will not have any of that here today. No. We are celebrating my bloody Valentine. We're having fun. But if I didn't find things criticizing the film, I did find a lot of things connecting the film to Friday the 13th, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all of those connections that we've sort of been making along the way. I even saw somebody mention similarities to Star Wars, the sound of the killer breathing in his gas mask resembling Darth Vader, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. A writer named Max Nestrowich wrote an article called Mining for Meaning, a review of My Bloody Valentine, which presents an analysis beyond the surface of the film, which I think is interesting to consider. He writes, the film could be left at a somewhat campy 80s horror film with the tropes and characters one would expect from such a movie. 
However, looking closer at the film, there is something more going on beside the special effects in all of their cheesy 1980s glory and the slowly whittling cast as they fall prey to various mining implements. My Bloody Valentine can be seen as a tale about tradition, inheritance, the abandonment slash breaking of said themes, the desire for a life beyond the confinements of the small town of your childhood, and the alienation and hostility one can face upon trying to do so. Much of these underlying themes come from the protagonist, T.J. Hanninger, who had, at one point, left Valentine Bluffs to seek better things elsewhere, leaving his world behind and cutting off the ties he had there. Only recently has he returned to town and has taken up working alongside his friends in the coal mine that the life in the town is centered around. The main takeaway from TJ's departure and return is that he failed to make it on his own while away, and it is only discussed in depth briefly to increase romantic tension with TJ's former girlfriend, Sarah, and to reminisce with TJ's former best friend, Axel, a somewhat hot-headed, chiseled, chin alpha male that offsets TJ's more somber demeanor that is now dating Sarah. TJ's departure and return has rubbed Axel the wrong way, and lingering feelings between Sarah and TJ provokes hostility, etc., etc. Throughout the film, it is mentioned how the coal mine belongs to TJ's father and how the mine has been in operation since the 1800s. Based off this information, we can concur that this mine has probably been in control of the Hanager family for several generations, and that TJ himself will most likely come to inheritance of the mine at some point. Added to the fact that TJ's father is also the mayor of the town, TJ rejected the cushy life he would have lived in his unexpected departure from the town due to him wanting to see the world and go about things in his own way. Upon returning and immediately given a job in the mine by his father, TJ quickly reconnects with his friends, having fallen into the routine of the blue-collar mining town. Work bar, work bar, repeat. It's a quite stable life that completely works for many of his friends, but not one that is particularly fulfilling for him. Whereas TJ rejected the confinement and dungery of the blue-collar life, others have become ingrained by it, and the mine's dark history has grasped onto the life of Axel, who is revealed in the finale within the mine to be the killer. The revelation that Axel witnessed his father's murder by Harry 20 years ago comes off as a conveniently forgotten detail until the end, and it is not until there are only a few surviving cast members that the audience can guess the identity of the killer. There are not many clues leading up to the revelation other than a drunken Axel crying in anguish after a very public confrontation between him and TJ that suggests mentally Axel isn't as stable as he seems. In a typical slasher fashion, however, the killer lives to kill again, despite a sequel to the film never being made. Yeah, that's my whole thing is like, where'd he fucking go? Yeah, where did he go? I can't believe there's not a sequel. I'm surprised there isn't. And I'm surprised that they opted for a remake of the film rather than a sequel. I think the line in this article that stood out to me most is one of the only clues or overt clues that Axel is the killer is when he cries. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was suspicious at all. But I'm wondering if audiences in the 1980s might have caught on to that more than maybe modern audiences. Well, like he's volatile. He's unpredictable. But like at that point, he already killed Mabel. Yeah. And he had already had the original heart that we don't know who that belonged to. I'm guessing like the woman from the cold open or the hot mm -hmm. open, whatever. <laughs> but like, what is all that? Like, I would understand if the killings were spurned on by TJ's return and threat to his relationship. But that's not really explicated until some people are already dead. So why did he start killing prior to TJ being a problem? You know? Well, maybe he always knew TJ was going to be a problem. When that's he true. Back. Yeah. But I am really interested in the knowledge that Axel is the killer and that he would have killed the woman in the beginning of the film, which would have meant, was he cheating on Sarah? 
Or was that like before Sarah even and he just has these natures because of his father dying in that way? I don't know. But I don't think it could have been too long before because the heart was relatively fresh. You're true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Which I didn't really make the connection. And now I'm thinking of it. And, you know, Axel is obviously a cold-blooded killer. But he was characterized to be somebody totally in love with Sarah. So the idea that maybe he had cheated on her, I think, is compelling. I mean, like in terms of like the theme of the podcast and shit like that, it is unfortunate that Sarah's kind of diminished to like the object of affection. And that's kind of like what is excused to be like the spurn of Axel doing this, which kind of fucking sucks. And she's minimized as this territorial thing to get gotten. But, I mean, we do see her obviously acting in a little bit more of a strong, strategic, smart way, especially with fucking Patty. Yeah. She is a good friend to Patty. She does not leave her until Patty is obviously dead, Mm -hmm. which is hard. But, yeah, I really like Sarah in this film. I think her boyfriend moves away. She dates Axel. He's cute enough. But then TJ comes back. She sees that her ex and her boyfriend are acting a fool. And she's... She's not pleased. And I feel like her reaction to a situation like that is very realistic. We can see that there's genuine confusion, but we can also see that there's genuine frustration. And at no point does she ever seem ready to kind of excuse any of that behavior, which I like as well. But I also feel like this movie, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of feels like it focuses more on Axel and TJ's friendship rather than that three-way triangle. If it's TJ's return that spurned Axel Maybe it was less like, why didn't he act this way before TJ left if he had a crush on Sarah? Right. So is it TJ coming back and Axel feeling betrayed that his friend moved away and cut him off in the first place? If so, I can sort of see that making sense with the themes in this article that talk about your ties to your hometown, like the people you grow up with, the life that maybe people assume you're always going to have, what happens if you leave it behind, what kind of grudges will people hold against you, and what would it be like if you came back and tried to resume that life? And especially because TJ, he doesn't pretend like he likes this life. Maybe his friends are pissed at him for acting like he's better than it all, which I think is another layer, too, that we can explore. You know, TJ is very melancholy. So I have lingering questions I just wanted your opinion on. Really, the only real one is, do you have any thoughts about the setting of the mine? I mean, it makes me think of The Descent and As Above, So Below, just the feeling of being inside something. I mean, I feel like it was a little bit more obvious with the descent where it was like wet, drippy. It was very much like they were just like fucking around in a vagina, right? So like there's that aspect to it. But it's also the idea that, I don't know, like ever since you said like the no women in the mind thing, but the idea that you can be in this like cavernous space and be trapped in it. It's interesting because we see both of the men in this movie very much sodding after the relationship that they have with Sarah, where maybe in that time, actually all of the men in this movie are very much happy with their partners. Yeah. But I also feel like that's the time of life that people start feeling trapped, that they need to be reaching these relationship milestones. And it's the women that are usually like pulling those things along historically, right? So I'm wondering, is being trapped in that life being trapped to a timeline? And like maybe that's what's pushing Sarah towards Axel or is that pushing TJ back toward his hometown because he's like, well, I had at least one thing I know there that I can count on. So is that what it is? Or is it really just this like blue collar, simple life that people aren't looking out for each other and people aren't doing the things the way they're supposed to be doing? And when that happens, people get punished for doing the wrong thing. Like the supervisors weren't doing their job. And that's really what started this whole thing. I don't know. I just feel like it's a way of talking about that moment in time and what's important. 
And again, I'm thinking back to your comment about the ages of these people, how it's difficult or movies historically have had a hard time showing the age of young 20-somethings without placing them in college or on the brink of marriage. But none of these couples are married yet. Right. So they're young enough that they're not married. Maybe they're just one or two years out of high school. I'm thinking of that quote from The Great Gatsby about Daisy. Something in her was crying to make a decision. And so she married Tom Buchanan. Is that what Sarah was feeling? Maybe her boyfriend had left her. Axel was the next cute guy. She was interested in staying in town. And she thought, okay, maybe I should date this guy. Was there love there? Was it more of like an obligation she was feeling? And you're right that the minds, in addition to just naturally increasing that tension, being in a close, tight space that the killer obviously knows so well, does it symbolize maybe that trapped feeling that some 20-somethings might feel when it feels like the next part of their life is knocking on their door and they don't know what they're going to answer that door to? Mm -hmm. And especially in a small town, everybody knows each other's business. And again, also like the idea of mines, that's like quintessential American lore, like blue collar job, this mine. Also, this image of getting to the heart of the matter, like delving in deep to the problem, like facing the bare bones, the core of the issue, which is, again, me thinking about this relationship with TJ and Axel. Like, is that what the bare bones was? You know, was Sarah just kind of like the accessory, even though there might have been feelings there? Anyway, so I feel like this movie, it's not really cut and dry. And I feel like there's a lot about it that was innovative. And I liked the setting. I liked the surprise at the end. Again, it was like this love triangle. But at the same time, I love the small town feeling. I think there were so many layers to this. And clearly in our conversation, there's a lot of theories sort of being floated. And I think that's a sign of a good movie. There isn't one answer. There are different theories that can exist. We're not entirely sure what was going on with Axel. And I want a sequel. Right. I want somebody to make it. Or maybe like a prequel if Axel was up to some fuck shit before. Like, what were you doing, Axel? Like, what made you make up your mind to do this? I really want to know more about this killer because I feel like we only find out who it is within 30 seconds of the film completely ending. So maybe that mystery is something else that keeps me interested as well. Well, maybe 3D is just the first place we have to start to see if there's any callbacks to it. You are right. I? Look. I'm very interested in the 3D film. Anyway, so that's my bloody Valentine from 1981. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes, stay safe out there. Don't approach any minors in full uniform. And don't open any heart-shaped boxes. (laughs) If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at The Horrors Podcast. Or if you want to get in touch with us via email, email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye.